Welcome to the Center of Everywhere podcast, where we explore stories of rural Minnesotans who are making a difference in their communities. Rural isn't in the middle of nowhere. It is in the center of everywhere. Welcome to Episode 5 of the Center of Everywhere podcast. I'm Marnie Werner, and I'm the Vice President of Research at the Center for Rural Policy and Development, and we are a private, nonpartisan, nonprofit organization based in rural Minnesota, where we are dedicated to providing data-driven research on rural issues to help our policymakers make more informed decisions affecting the rural people and places of our state. So today we are going to be doing this in-house. I am here with our uh, president and CEO, Julie Tash, and with our uh, senior researcher, Kelly Ash. And we're gonna be talking we're gonna be talking about the challenges municipalities face in applying for grants. So Kelly, you were, are, or were recently on the city council of your city, New London. And Julie, what's your experience with municipalities in applying for grants? You know, my experience is more talking with, whether it's city council people, city council members, you know, county commissioners, things like that. Um, and coming from a very small town of 200, you know, talking with the city council and the mayor there, there's just, uh, there's a lack of people that know how to write grants. And I know that uh, intention is good, you know, from all sorts of entities, whether it is uh, private foundations or federal government, state government, but the most people in these small towns, you know, less than 5,000 are doing things voluntarily and they don't have time to do grant writing. And so I talked to quite a few people about that of like, what, you know, is there a way that we can pool our resources together to hire a grant writer or, you know, we know this money's available, but we just don't, we don't know how to go about doing it because there there is an art and a craft to grant writing. So that that's kind of my experience. Sure. Okay. And um, Kelly, from your experience, what kind of, we're talking mostly about municipalities, cities, and, and what kind of grants are these? So the, my experience with this, yes, yeah, uh, obviously my experience in the city of New London, uh, sitting on city council here and talking about some of the initiatives that we want to, you know, move forward with, but don't have the tax revenue uh, uh, to pay for anything such as that. So then we got to go out and find grants and just some of the challenges associated with that. So it can stretch from city council, just like city government type stuff. It can also go into EDA. So if the municipality has an EDA, um, we've seen it there. It ranges from transportation projects to art projects to libraries, right? Like it really it's a very broad sector in terms of what grants are available to a city. And the big reason for that is I think there's been a lot of pressure on state agencies um, to do more kind of let's release grants. So instead of just like putting out aid to a city, you're a town of this size with this kind of income, you get a certain amount of aid, kind of like LGA, right? Like you don't have to fill anything out in terms of of trying to get that aid, maybe some sort of form or or, or whatnot, but it's generally kind of simple. Uh, there's some sort of formula that kind of dictates how much money you're going to get. 
With grant writing, it's more based on how competitive are you? This is a chunk of money coming from, let's say, a nonprofit or a philanthropic organization or even a state agency. We want to give it to the community that can use it the most. Well, the best way to do that is to have them fill out a grant application, talk about their project, their mission, you know, have a budget put together and like get letters of support from other organizations such as the chamber or whoever. And it gets to be a lot of work. And I'm not saying that that's the wrong way to give money to municipalities, but I think it puts municipalities at a disadvantage because of the time and effort that it takes, the amount of planning that it takes, and really having the staff, you know, available to do that kind of work. And then if we're just relying on volunteers, I mean, people are volunteered out. Like we have everybody volunteering for everything and it's just a lot of work. <laughs> yeah. So when you talk about um, the grants and what they're being used for, where, where do these grants come from? Are they mostly state grants or are they federal grants too, or? Yeah, it's all of them. I mean, um, so I'll give an example here in the city of New London. We uh, put together a local option sales tax that was passed uh, that we're raising money to move the, uh, the library into a better building. So the city wanted to purchase a building or build new uh, and have the library move over. Well, the um, state agency for libraries has a grant that can go towards facilities uh, uh, chairs and types that, uh, for communities, smaller communities that have that ha uh, have a need to invest in these sorts of things. It, the grant opens up, I think, every two years, if I remember right, or maybe it's every year, maybe it's every two, every two. But again, it's quite a process. Um, you have to fill out the application. You have to have your budget all together. And granted, the library, we don't have a library committee in town. Our city administrator is already packed and booked. Uh, and so we put together a, a group of volunteers to kind of raise money for the library. And one of our volunteers who happened to be an executive director of a nonprofit organization that has written grants before, you know, this person was able to write a, write write the application. But that isn't the case for a lot of municipalities. And again, you know, is that really how we want our small towns to, to be able to have access to those? So, um yeah, so the answer to your question, yeah, it's state agencies, it's federal agencies, it's philanthropic organizations, it might be nonprofits like arts councils, right? Like they're offering grants. Um, and so, yeah, it's it's kind of a, we've seen it just across the board that this is the avenue in which a lot of agencies and organizations are going in, in terms of uh, supplying aid to, to small government. And Marnie, I'll just, I'll interject there that when you talk about federal grants, I was able to be in a meeting with Senator Smith's office during a, a listening session a couple months ago. And our friends from uh, USDA Rural Development, who are the ones that administer the federal grants through USDA in Minnesota, they do wonderful work. Um, but we, what we talked about is that either one, people don't have an awareness of what these grants are, or two, like Kelly said, they don't have the capacity to to write them. And I know that that was news to them, uh, to Senator Smith's office, you know, because they're like, oh, we have all these wonderful grants and this and that and all this new money from uh, the Inflation Reduction Act. And that's true. There is all of this money, but there's in a lot of these municipalities, there's no one to apply for them. And that was a real eye opener for a lot of people in that room that like, oh, 
we need to do something about this because if you have not written a grant before, you might think it's easy, but it is very, it is difficult and it is a competition. I think on top of that too, Julie, is it's not so much, yeah, it's knowing that these grants are available and then having the skill set to to uh, fill them out. But then there's the third piece of who's administering the grant, right? Which can be with like USDA rural development. There can be a lot of paperwork and a lot of kind of things of dotting the I's and crossing the T's that has to be done even once you have the money because you'll have to report back out. And so I've heard of communities that will try to avoid grants because of that, because they don't have the capacity to kind of keep track of everything after they do receive a grant because of how strict some of the controls can be. Yeah, no doubt. I've only ever worked with a federal grant once, and that was like 20 years ago in a different job. And I swore I would never do a federal grant again because the the paperwork is beyond daunting. It, yeah, it, 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 it's crazy. Especially when you look at some of our smallest municipalities that may have, you know, a five person city council and one city clerk, you know, and that's their staff, you know, and, you know, and yes, like like you're saying, they're volunteered out. And so there's just, you just don't have that capacity that you have in, um, you know, in more urban areas where you just have more people to call on for things. But now also, um, what about private grants too? Because uh, there's an issue of just being able to access private money in rural areas, even just finding a foundation that will you know, give grants in a rural area. Do you guys have any thoughts on that? It's a doozy, it's difficult. Um, you know, we're fortunate to be funded by two and, and, you know, the Blandon Foundation specifically focuses on rural Minnesota. That is all that they fund, which is phenomenal. But they are a rarity. They, they, they're they the only ones that I really know of in the state that really focus on rural communities. That is a private foundation. And when you look nationally for private foundations, I forget what the statistic is. I'll have to look it up here. But you know, it's like 80% of the grant dollars and private foundations goes into urban areas. Now, some may say, well, that's where the population is, but, you know, how do we, how do we redistribute that wealth a little bit more in the private foundation area? So it, it is funding rural for private foundations is very difficult. And it's a very niche, niche, ugh, niche market. And one that it's almost like a pet project for somebody. So uh, last week, one of our board members was telling me about uh, Leona Helmsley's trust, which was just crazy. But Leona Helmsley's grandson is very passionate about rural and about rural health. And they fund rural health projects, which is just crazy to me. When you think of Leona Helmsley, for those of you that are old enough to remember her, the last thing you would think of is rural health grants, you know, but that's one of their programmatic areas. And so it, it it's a lot of research to find those private foundations. Yeah. Especially when you just don't even have time because you're too busy, you know, plowing the roads and stuff. 
But uh, yeah, so we've talked a lot about capacity, um, but you also wanted to talk about eligibility because that's, uh, that's an issue and that differs quite a bit between urban and rural too, doesn't it? Well, I would say that's probably one of the bigger issues um, facing rural areas as governments, state, federal, uh, are looking to kind of, I don't know what the word is, have accountability in terms of where the money is going, who is getting it, how is it being used? These are questions they have to answer to to taxpayers uh, and other organizations, right? So in order to be able to track that stuff and in order to tell a good story to, let's say, the taxpayers of how the money is being used, you want to make sure the money is going to communities where you get the highest bang for your buck, right? Your return on investment is the highest. And we saw this, uh, I'll use Deed, for example, who does a great job there, you know, and it's all of this is, you know, good intentions. We want to we want to invest in uh, in this particular program uh, into programs in workforce development. And so all these workforce development organizations across the state could apply to receive some grant dollars from Deed to implement, you know, new initiatives that might increase the labor force or more training. Um and really great programs. And they've changed it since. But at the time, you know, there was this pretty big focus on return on investment. And they're, you know, they would get these grants and they had a committee review the grants and they would have this matrix in which they would score, you know, based on how the application was filled out. You know, what is our return on investment? How many people is this amount of money going to help? Right. Um, are they able to kind of consolidate and make this really efficient? So you have like a cohort of people that are, let's say, taking a training class together over the course of nine months. Right. These are the types of things that look good. And it's a good use of dollars in terms of uh, comparison between rural and urban areas. But the issue is, is in rural areas, your return on investment is always going to be less. I, we just have to accept the fact that things cost more when we're trying to deliver programming, largely due to large geographic areas, um, fewer people across the larger geographic areas, right? And so certain really good efficiency programs, such as cohort models, where people take training classes together, work really well when people are concentrated in a smaller geographic area. Once those spread out, the expectation that you're going to have people be able to come together in moments throughout this training process to be trained together to, you know, utilize your expenses as well as possible. That's a pretty hard ask for rural areas. And so, again, this is just kind of an example of how if we only go through competitive grant process and we're constantly comparing rural areas to metropolitan areas, that is a pretty severe disadvantage to rural areas, and they'll rarely look good in that comparison. And, you know, there's a lot of pressure on, I would argue, state agencies in particular to go this route. It was interesting when we were do, looking at that research, it was actually the Office of the Legislative Auditor that told Deed, hey, you should look into competitive grants because it's a good use of money. Um, the outcomes tend to be better. And it makes a lot of sense. And so Deed was just following what the legislative auditor was telling them to do. Now, there's probably ways to implement a competitive grant process where it's rural in comparison to other rural areas versus rural versus metropolitan. There's, there's ways to do it. But again, um, it's, it's, a, it's a tough little road. If you were to compare, let's say, northern Minnesota versus southern Minnesota, that's going to look very differently because the 
sparsity and geographic area that the northern workforce development organizations have to cover are significantly larger than southern Minnesota, even though we would consider those to be both rural. So, Yeah, the competitiveness, the competitive part of the grant is always going to be an issue for rural areas, isn't it? Um, so what do we do about this, either of you? Good question. You know, I think a lot of it is awareness. I know that I didn't realize how few grant dollars were available for rural Minnesota until I took this position and then working with the likes of Blandon and McKnight. And I, just for reference, I, I did find the information talking about the grantee locations of Minnesota-based foundations, just to give you some background. Um, and they have, there's three types of foundations. And so there's community and public foundations, private foundations, which is like the McKnight and Blandin, and then corporate foundations and giving programs. So your Cargill's, Target Corp, things like that. And so just to give you a, uh, a background for community and public foundations, 74.6% of the dollars go towards the Twin Cities, 11.7 go to greater Minnesota, and then the remaining is outside of Minnesota. For private foundations, 36.4% uh, goes to the Twin Cities, 9.7% to greater Minnesota, 51.4% to outside of Minnesota. And then corporate is where it really gets crazy. Uh, corporate foundations, they're giving 22% to the Twin Cities, 1% to greater Minnesota, 1%. And then 76.7% outside of Minnesota. So all of these, these three foundation areas have very different ways of operating and uh, use their money how they want to. But that, that just shows right there that there is a disparity. And so um, when you look at it in total, in total giving, um, basically nearly 60% of the dollars given by Minnesota grant makers, it does stay in Minnesota. But greater Minnesota is only receiving like 8.6% of that. So there's huge variations in there. And I, th I think there's growth, there's, there's opportunity for growth in there. And I think a lot of it goes along with something that all three of us have talked about quite a bit is changing the narrative, changing the rural narrative. You know, it is hard. It's arduous work, but it needs to be done, and, it, and it's it's changing the narrative with with our funders. I think of uh, McKnight Foundation, who's been with us since we started in 1997. You know, they went through a big strategic planning and new CEO and the whole nine yards, and we weren't included initially in their re-funding model, but now we are because we were really we advocated for ourselves and helped them realize rural Minnesota is a great place to invest, and so I think that. That needs to be everyone's job in, in greater Minnesota is to advocate and changing that narrative. Yeah, and I think there's, you know, two different kind of components to this. The first one I would argue is the way in which grants are distributed. I tend to think, and I would be curious to look up some research on this uh, in terms of whether it's the most equitable, but I feel like, you know, state agencies, let's just start there. Um if they're going to have a grant program, it should be distributed almost on a regional basis. And then within that region, you can have a competitive grant process. Um, that's probably a really good way to do it. You know, when we break down data, 
uh, at, at the Center for Rural Policy and Development, when we compare, let's say, you know, the economics, meaning household incomes, the type of occupations and industry, you know, regionally, there's, there's, you know, there's some nice kind of matching that goes on. Northeast is very kind of, all the counties in Northeast Minnesota are a little bit similar. They kind of share a lot of attributes. Northwest Minnesota kind of share a lot of attributes. The Central Lakes region kind of uh, shares a lot of attributes. And so, you know, just saying like as a state agency, all right, we're giving you this chunk of money in Northwest Minnesota. These three organizations figure out how it's going to get distributed through a grant process. You know what I mean? Like, cause I feel like we have a pretty intense framework and infrastructure throughout rural Minnesota um, that are really in touch with what's happening on the ground, really in touch with the issues and could probably distribute it really, really well. And I'm thinking of, you know, the RDOs. So all of our, all of our RDCs, our rural development uh, commissions across the state. I'm thinking of our workforce development boards at the federal level that are across the state. We also have initiative foundations, right? Like I feel like there's a really good kind of groundwork or framework in the rural areas that are in touch with the needs and where the money, how the money could be invested. So I think that's a really interesting approach. And I would like to see our state government and maybe in federal government kind of implement something like that. Um, and then I think the second thing is the technical assistance and having the capacity at a local government level to one, keep track of all the grants that are available and two, uh, fill out the grants and three, administer the grants. And again, I feel like we have an infrastructure here in rural Minnesota in which other organizations could maybe take on some of that burden. And I do believe we're, we're seeing that more and more RDCs are starting to kind of have a grant writer on staff that can help a community fill out uh, grant applications. They could serve as the um, Oh, what's that called? Uh, you know, when they are kind of they hold on to the money and distribute it to the community. So they're like kind of a fiduciary organization or whatever of a of a certain grant. Right. They can serve as that um, because sometimes, too, one of the challenges is when you do get grant dollars into a community, it can be a little bit hard to administer in terms of where that pot is sitting in the budget and what it can be used for. Uh and, and, and so and being able to provide like an inventory of here's all the grants available, like. If I'm a local government city administrator, my city council is like, hey, we would like to explore, again, a new library. Have the city administrator being able to call somebody up and be like, hey, we're thinking about this. What grants do you think are available? And having somebody that is kind of an expert, has that technical assistance, uh, and then can offer that service, honestly, for a super low fee or even free in terms of I'm using air quotes for anybody listening to the podcast because we all know you know the money money comes from somewhere but I think those are some really good mechanisms that I think need to be explored quite a bit more uh to fill uh to really take advantage of all of this and I'll use the uh inflation act uh oh what, what is the name of it again they always have these name acronyms the inflation reduction act is that what it was um there's tons of money in that. And I don't think any municipal governments still know what can they use it? Is there anything that could be used for them? And I'm sure there will be a webinar, you know, where the federal agencies will start saying, oh, here's all the money available. But again, if it's not localized, it's so hard for a municipal government to really think that like, oh, this could be of use for us. So again, I think using the framework that rural Minnesota has set up its infrastructure in terms of the development organizations that exist could be a very powerful mechanism to help fill that gap. 
Yeah, because each expecting each municipality to be responsible for its own applying for these grants is 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 really the the current system, but it's not very realistic for rural communities. That's it in a nutshell, right? What we're saying. Yeah, I, it's it's not. Um, you know, we're a city of fourteen hundred here in New London. We have a city administrator, uh, and then kind of a, uh, a city, an assistant to the city administrator, and then two maintenance guys. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, and and you know, the city administrator is booked. I mean, we're looking at paying for a company to look through all of our policies every year to just update them, our ordinances, because some of them are 10, 15 years old. And who has the capacity to look through all of our ordinances? You know, so I think, yeah, I think it's just it just makes sense. And I think at a state at a state level, the infrastructure is there. Well, and I can think of a couple of examples where this has actually been done pretty successfully. And one is um, Wells Fact with uh, DEED, with the Minnesota Department of Employment and Economic Development. They issue a couple, two, three million dollars in grants every year in support of childcare development but they issue that money directly to the six initiative foundations around the state. And then those initiative foundations are responsible for distributing that money through grants within their own regions. And so that's, you know, been a really good model for, for that particular system. And then I remember about 10 years or so ago when there was a really devastating fire in um, the middle of Medelia, in the middle of their downtown in the city of Medelia down here in Watanwan County. Um, you know, it's a small city. Uh, Region 9 Development Commission, they got to work and just started applying for grants for the city to help them just get that infusion of money they needed to get back on their feet. And, and Region 9 acted as the kind of the, the central crisis point for them and, and really made a difference in that situation and so yeah there are examples of how how we can you know how this can really be made to work yeah and i think we're seeing it more and more um as we you know move forward I just, yeah it's a great model it's super effective and i think too for those organizations that are doing this you know it serves a real purpose and i think it you know, I think it, they feel good about doing that kind of work. It's just so helpful. So, okay, well, great conversation, Kelly and Julie, and um, we will talk about this again in the future, I'm sure. So, thanks a lot. You've been listening to the Center of Everywhere podcast, where we explore stories of rural Minnesotans who are making a difference in their communities. Rural isn't in the middle of nowhere. It is in the center of everywhere. Mm -hmm.